Um, good morning, my name is David. Um, people call me DC here. Uh, you guys can feel free to call me DC. Um, but I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, just glad that we can all uh, be here again on a Sunday morning to worship together. Um, you know, as uh, Hanny prayed, uh, we just closed a series on um, talking about community, uh, and the title of that series was Crafted by God. Uh, it's such a pa- very powerful reminder of God's design and his intention for our community here. And oftentimes we can create our own definitions and our own meanings and our own expectations of, uh, of relationships and especially within the church. Uh, and so I think it was a very powerful sermon series. And if you missed out and if this is your first time joining us, I want to commend that series to you so that you know what we're aspiring to become. And for those that missed out on, on one or two sermons, I, I believe every sermon uh, can speak to um, how we view this community here and how we can play a part in the body of Christ. Uh, but I thank uh, P. Mike for doing that um, and, and closing that series. We're, today we're going to relaunch into uh, our Genesis series. Our Genesis series. We t- we've, we've taken a couple months break, uh, but we've been going through the book of Genesis and the series title for Genesis is Gospel Origins. Uh, for many of us, we know what the gospel means. The gospel means good news, right? the good news of Jesus Christ. And origins means beginning, right? The beginning of the good news. And so oftentimes when we think about the gospel, our immediate attention goes to the gospel narratives in the New Testament. Um, but I think, although that is true, uh, that those are the gospel accounts of Jesus Christ, when we're talking about the good news of salvation, of redemption, we actually have to go back to the very beginning, of God's creation and his dealing with humanity, Because right? it is one unifying book. It is not uh, these isolated stories that have different meanings and, and things that we're to learn. Actually, the Bible is about one story, and that story is of God redeeming and saving uh, a broken people. And so sin... Sin marked both humanity and creation itself. It created a divide, a separation, right? God and man are now alienated from each other because of sin. Uh, there's estranged relationships between Adam and Eve and uh, just corruption and wickedness between relationships with other human beings. And creation itself is now hostile towards humans. Uh, there is now um, disease, uh, natural disasters, Right? There is now alienation now between humanity and creation itself. Uh, but God didn't want to leave us this way. He puts a plan in motion to save uh, broken and sinful humanity. Uh, and this plan started with a man and his family. And that man was Abraham. Uh, he called Abraham to believe in the promise that he's going to bless him and make him into a great nation. And from him, God is now going to save. From his line, God is now going to bring the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so for, to catch us up in this series, we, we talked about Abraham and his wife Sarai uh, and, and the promised son who was Isaac. We talked about Isaac with his wife Rebekah, and they had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob being the one loved uh, and chosen. Uh, to now carry out God's plan for salvation. Uh, Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah, and together they had 12 sons altogether. Now this brings us to the person of Joseph. Joseph, 
Uh, there are 13 chapters dedicated to Joseph. And so I believe God wants to share with us and reveal to us uh, and teach us through uh, this life uh, and this crazy story of Joseph. So if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 37, and we'll read verses 18 through 28. We're going to be right in the middle of Joseph's dilemma, uh, the drama that he's going to experience. All right, so Genesis 37, 18 through 28. If you don't have your Bibles, it should be up on the screen for you guys. All right. Let's give our full attention as I read God's word for us. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, the, uh, he when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, myrrh, and all, all on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brothers and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, us not, uh, let, us not, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by. And they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. This is God's word. Amen. So growing up, especially in high school and college, everyone need, needed a friend, a specific friend. I want to call him the bailout friend, the bailout friend. Uh, and this friend is someone that, that will bail you out from your parents, right? As immediately when you tell your parents are hanging out with this individual, they stop asking questions, right? Just no more questions, no curfew. Because this friend, in your parents' eyes, is just excellent, amazing, no concerns, no worries. Yeah, go ahead. I don't care what time you come back. As long as you're with him, go ahead, right? And, and all of us, we need this because we want to do what we want to do and, and not let our parents know what we're really doing, right? The bailout friend. And I'm not, I'm not saying this pridefully, but I was one of those friends. I was a bailout friend for a lot of my own friends or so-called friends. And so what they will often do is give me a call and say, hey, my parents might call you uh, to see if I'm with you. Can you just lie for, for me, basically? Uh, and, and in high school and college, I would get these calls on a monthly basis. Hey, can you just tell your parents, you know, that, that I'm with you, right? And so I'll get these calls, and, and unfortunately, because I'm a people pleaser, I would lie to these parents saying, yeah, you know, um, Daniel's with me, or uh, my best friend Freddie, oh yeah, he's with me, to bail them out. Uh, because I kind of had that reputation of being a good boy, right? And parents loved me 
uh, for some reason because uh, I was that church boy who was always at church, always trying to do nice things. And obviously, you guys know story, my story in college, that all changed. But um, Joseph was this type of person. He was the type of person that every parent's dream of. He's the type of person that uh, your parents would compare you with them. Why can't you be more like Joseph? Uh, but the only difference is, if your parents called Joseph, Joseph would actually tell the truth. Uh, he wouldn't bail you out. That's how uh, upright and upstanding and of high moral character he had. Uh, you know that next to Jesus, there's no one in Scripture more righteous, more blameless than Joseph. Did you guys know that? There's no one else in Scripture that can compare to Joseph's upstanding character and his moral righteousness. And there's no one that can compare to him. Right? And so growing up at, uh, in church, we learn about Joseph, and the primary lesson is this. Uh, for those that grew up in church and Sunday school, when you hear a sermon, the primary lesson is this. Be like Joseph. Uh, flee temptation like Joseph. Um, succeed like Joseph. Be like Joseph. Emulate him. Um, try to be like him. Try to be more like Joseph. And growing up, that was my experience when we looked at the life of Joseph. And uh, although there are definite lessons uh, that we want to learn and things that we want to aspire to be like Joseph, that is not the primary lesson. That is not the primary lesson of Joseph. See, although many of us as parents, we want our kids to be like Joseph, I'm sure all of us, all of us as parents, we don't want our kids to go, go through what Joseph went through. Uh, and he went through uh, quite a bit of uh, drama and, and devastation, as we will see in the coming weeks. So the question that we want to ask is, what's the primary me message and what's the lesson that God wants to teach us through this man named Joseph? And so here it is, the main idea that's going to be threaded throughout this entire series. That is, God is sovereign. That's the message. God is sovereign in the life of Joseph. Now, what do I mean by God is sovereign, because that is a theological term. What I mean by God is sovereign, this is what I mean. God is perfectly planning and executing his purpose and will in Joseph's life. Yes, even his suffering, even his pain and his hardships are being used by God to orchestrate his perfect plan and purpose. And so this is a question that I get all the time from college students, or even young adults. Why do bad things happen to good people? Right? If Joseph is so blameless and he's so morally righteous, why do all these bad things happen to him? And to be honest, there isn't one simple answer that I can give to these individuals. Uh, it is actually quite complex of why sometimes suffering and pain befall people that are good. Uh, that are trying to do good, that are going to church, giving their money, serving so faithfully. But the truth of the matter is, and, and what we're, we're, we're going to see in the story of Joseph, is that God, even through his pain and even through his suffering, is doing something. He's accomplishing his will for his glory and for Joseph's ultimate good. And so this thread of God's sovereignty is going to be uh, seen throughout this entire series. So there are three things that I want us to notice about Joseph's life in our passage today, three movements 
uh, that we want to focus in on. First is that he is deeply loved. Second is that he is despised and hated. And lastly, we're going to see that he is sold. He is sold as a slave. So loved, despised, and sold. So first thing we want to see about Joseph is that he's deeply loved and favored by Jacob, his father. All right, Joseph was the 11th son of 12. Right? And he was the most loved and favored. Genesis 37, uh, verse 3. Now Israel, who was renamed, all right, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. Right? Deja vu, right? For those that have been tracking with us in this Genesis series, this should sound familiar to us. Uh, this family has a history of playing favorites. Uh, Joseph's grandparents, Isaac, right? Isaac loved Esau. He favored Esau. Joseph's grandmother, Rebecca, loved and favored Jacob, deceiving his, her, her own husband to give Jacob the birthright. Right? And this caused a huge mess where, the, where Esau wanted to kill Joseph. Jacob, right? Jacob, Joseph's father, loved and favored Rachel when he had his first wife, Leah. And that caused a rift and divide in that family as well. Right? Over and over again. You, th- you would think by this time, Jacob, Israel would, would, would learn. You know, it's not, it doesn't go well when you just isolate and pick one child to favor and love. Right? Uh, but the author provides a reason for this love. Uh, Jacob had Joseph at an old age. But not only that, Jacob was the son of his favorite wife, the first son of his favorite wife, who was Rachel. And in this, at this time, in this narrative, Rachel has actually passed away. And so I would think that Joseph would be a reminder of Rachel. And that's why he loved him so deeply and favored him above any other sons that he had. So much so that he made him a magnificent, extravagant robe. And the translation says, robe of many colors, which I think can be one of them, one of the uh, ways that we interpret that. But another way is it was a robe that reached its, his wrist and his ankle. It was, it was beyond Right? The normal attire that any, let alone a 17-year-old, would be given to wear. Right? This was an amazing, extravagant love. Blatant favoritism. Right? Blatant favoritism from Jacob to his son Joseph when he had 11 other sons. Um, and we're guilty of this. Parents, we're guilty and people ask me all the time, you know, because I have a four-year-old son. His name is Deacon. I have a one-and-a-half-year-old, almost two-year-old daughter, Devin. They ask us, which one do you like more? <laughs> which one do you love more? And obviously the answer is neither. I, I love them both equally the same, right? And then Jane would just scoff at me, right? My wife, Jane, would scoff at me because she actually identified and noticed something when I addressed my children. When I would talk to my son, Deacon, or address him, and I'd be like, Hey, buddy, how's it going? Right? But when I look to my daughter, this is how I address her almost every day. Every time I see her, princess, <laughs> princess. And then Jane gets upset. She's like, why don't you call Deacon Prince? Right? You got to be consistent. I-, I don't know why. 
When I see Devin, I just want to call her princess, and, and I treat her like one. But, you know, I, I think I love and treat Deacon Lee equally. I just address him differently. Right? It's kind of weird. Hey, prince. It doesn't sound the same. Right? Um, I, I believe I, equal, I love them equally. Uh, Jane uh, somewhat disagrees with that. Um, but but to all to say that, that the love that Jacob had for Joseph was was special and obviously uh, greater than the other 11 sons. But was this Joseph's fault? Was this Joseph's fault? Uh, Did he do something to to receive this love? No, I I don't believe it was Joseph's fault. The father just loved him more than the other sons. So the first thing that we want to learn about Joseph is that he was deeply and specially loved by his father. And that's important for us to keep in our minds as we unfold and unpack what's going, uh, what's going to happen now. But it is this love that caused his brothers to despise and hate him. Right? This is the second movement that we see in Joseph's life. He is despised by his brothers. If we don't know the full story of, of what's happening here, we might think that, that Joseph is hated by his brothers just because of what's happening here. The despise and the hatred actually goes a lot further back and a lot deeper than we want to imagine and think. See, in contrast to Joseph, who was blameless and, and morally upright, his brothers were, were quite the opposite. Uh, they were pretty corrupt, rebellious, and disobeyed their father constantly. And we see this in Genesis uh, 34. Uh, Jacob had a daughter. Her name was Dinah, uh, Dinah by Leah. Uh, with Leah, they had a, da- a daughter named Dinah. Um, she was taken away and raped uh, by a man named Shechem, uh, who his father was Hamor. Right? And, and, but Shechem loved Dinah and wanted to marry her. Uh, but obviously, as brothers coming to their sister's defense, they wanted revenge. But Jacob wanted to make peace with, with Hamor. He didn't want vengeance. He wanted Peace. So behind Jacob's back, his two sons, Simeon and Levi, what they do is they deceive Hamor and Shechem, right? Giving the guys that, yeah, all things are good. Uh, Hamor lets them into his village, and what does what uh, Simeon and Levi do? Behind their father's back. When the father was trying to make peace, they killed every male in that village, along with Shechem and Hamor. And they pillaged and looted that village. Right? Complete disobedience and rebellion towards their father. And, and Jacob uh, was shameful. And they brought shame to Jacob's name and his family. That was Simeon and Levi. Not too long after that, Reuben, the firstborn of, of, uh, of Jacob, the first son, what does he do? He sleeps with his with Jacob, his father's maidservant, Bilhah. Right? This is a, a, a dysfunctional family. Right? These sons are dysfunctional. Right? And then you contrast that with Joseph, who is righteous, who is blameless. And I believe, right, and this is my kind of opinion, Joseph was the closest in line to receive Jacob's blessing, even though he was 11th son. Because the rest of the sons were pretty corrupt. 
They were failing their father. And they were dishonoring to God. And so we have, to, we have to get a full picture of what's happening in this family. The brothers are messing up right and left while Joseph is clean, innocent, pure. And the, the brothers, of course, would catch on. Would catch on to this. Man, Joseph is the good boy. We are a bunch of screw-ups. And I think the author, the author Moses is trying to juxtapose the brothers to Joseph and to explain why the brothers hated him so much. Right? We, we have those people in our lives, those people that only do good, right? and then we just hate them because they're so good. I believe that's what's happening here in this family. And the author wants us to see that. So no wonder they hated Joseph so much. But even then, what we find out in the early, early parts of this chapter is that one of the responsibilities that Joseph had was to report to his fathers about his brother. And so in verse 2, we hear that Joseph brings a bad report. Bad report about his brothers and what they're doing. They're doing something wrong, and he speaks, uh, speaks about that to the dad. And so some commentators, and there's a camp that believe that Joseph deserved what was coming to him. Yeah, he, he deserved absolutely his brother's hatred and, and their despise, but I, I don't believe that's the case. Some commentators actually believe that. I don't think that's the case. I think he was being responsible and doing his duty by telling the father, his father the truth. So he brings a bad report. Again, that is another X on his, according to their brother. That's a strike. But something else, else happens where the hatred and despise just continues to grow. Joseph has these dreams. Joseph has these dreams. It's going to be up on the screen. I'm not going to read it for us. Let me explain what dreams that he has. First dream that he has was that he's with his brothers together in the field, and, and they're, they're gathering, right, wheat, right? And so each one gathers their, uh, their wheat, right, their sheaves. And the brother's sheaves bow down to his sheaves. This is a very clear dream that he has. Very clear dream. Uh, they're bowing down to him. That's, that's a pretty, pretty crazy thing to tell your brothers that hate you, right? <laughs> but that's not the only dream. He has another dream. And in this dream, there's a sun and the moon and 11 stars representing his brother and his mother and his father. They bow down to him. Now, even Jacob, who loves his, uh, his son, Joseph, is bothered by this, right? Really? You think that, that your, ma, your mother and I were going to bow down to you? But there's something that's, that's said here that we didn't read. Um, Joseph remembered. He kept this dream in his mind. When the brothers despised him even more, Jacob would keep this dream that Joseph shares with him in his mind. So some will say again, Joseph, what are you doing? Why are you creating more, uh, a room for more hatred for, for your brothers against you? And so they, they have this, this idea, commentators have this idea, he shouldn't have shared these dreams. But I don't believe, I don't agree with that either. Dreams and visions in the Old Testament symbolize something. Oftentimes when we see dreams and visions in the Old Testament, it was, it was revelatory. It was God's revelation being, being given to his servants and his prophets. 
which means that Joseph is receiving something from God through these dreams and being a responsible God-fearer, he shares that revelation with others. Again, I don't believe what is about to happen to Joseph was warranted. He was doing what he was supposed to do by sharing the truth of God to his brothers and to his family. Let's, for example, say that deacon comes to me and he says, Dad, one day you're going to work for me. Right? Let's just say that he says that. Like, I'm like I'll just kind of like brush it off. Oh, that's, that's cute. Right? That's cute. You wish in your dreams, right? I wouldn't really take, take uh, so much to it, right? I want to think about it much. Oh, he's this cute little, little boy, right? 17-year-old boy telling me that, he, you know, I'm going to work for him one day. Right? Any, any one of us, if, if our kids came to us saying that, we'd be like, oh, kind of, oh that's cute. Why, why is this such an offense? If, if not, that there was something in their minds where they believed that this was from God. Right? Why do the brothers hate this so much? Unless they, in their back of their mind, they were thinking, maybe this is from God. And maybe this will come true. But this dream caused such even more despise and hatred for Joseph. And so if Joseph was guilty of anything, and this is, again, a decision that I had to make when I was studying Joseph, was just a lack of self-awareness. Maybe that's it. If he's guilty of anything, it's a lack of self-awareness. I believe he was completely innocent. He didn't do anything to deserve that love. He was just loved. When he received those dreams, it was revelation from God. He needed to share that revelation with his family. Again, innocent. But the next thing that we see, next thing that we see in, this, in, in the life of Joseph, in this early stage, is that he is sold into slavery. They hate him so much that they plot to kill their own brother. And this is the last movement that we see. See, Joseph is sent by his father to go check up on their brother, uh, check up on his brothers once again, probably to bring some food, relief, but also ultimately to assist their, uh, his brothers as well. So uh, he, they are in Shechem, right? Ironically, they're in Shechem, the place where this murder happened, right? Or the murdering of all the males. Right? They're in Shechem, but they're not there. So he asks a stranger, and, and he, uh, he points them to uh, Dotham, right? And so Joseph goes and finds his brothers, and while the, uh, the brothers see that he's far away, they start, they start plotting. Hey, let's kill him. Let's get rid of this dreamer. Right? Let's get rid of him. Right? That, that was their, their um, solution to, the, the, to their hatred of their own brother. But well, we see something happening here where Reuben steps in and says, hey, you know what, let's not kill him. Let's put him in a pit. But his plan was, while he's in the pit and the brothers are away, he's going to take him out of that pit and restore him to his father. Now, at first when I was reading this, I'm like, ooh, there is kind of a savior figure here. Right, Reuben. Actually, that's not the case. Reuben's in the doghouse with his, with his dad. Why? He slept with his maidservant, Bilhah. He was thinking, if I save and rescue his favorite son, I can maybe be in the good graces of my father again. So we have to be, again, we have to look at the big picture here. Reuben is not, he, like he didn't, he didn't have the best intentions, he was very self-seeking in trying to save his brother. So he puts him in the, into, the, into the pit. They put him in the pit, and then uh, they see a caravan of Ishmaelites come. And then 
Judah, right? Another brother comes up with this plan. Why, why kill him with our own hands? He's our own flesh and his blood. Let's not do that. Let's profit from this. Let's sell him. Let's sell him. 20 pieces of silver, 20 shekels of silver, pieces of silver. Let's, let's sell him and let's profit from this. And again, we have to think about Judah. Keep him in your mind as we start understanding what God is doing here. And so they sell him. Now Joseph is on the way to Egypt, away from his family, away from his father's love, betrayed by his own brothers. And what do the brothers do now? Uh, they rip up his robe. They dip it in goat's blood, give it to his father. Father doesn't need an explanation. Immediately he thinks, my son has been devoured by an animal. And he mourns. This is the beginning story of Joseph. The blameless, righteous, good boy. Why, why are these things happening? What's going on here? Why, why such pain, suffering, and devastation in this young man's life? The question that we need to ask and really think about is why does Joseph stay silent through it all? Why is there no record of him protesting, complaining, crying out to God, protesting to his brothers? Why, why is there nothing said during this time in Joseph's, in Joseph's predicament, his dilemma, his situation? Again, this is what, my, what I believe and I think is happening in Joseph's heart and mind. Even though all these things are happening, I believe he's, he's trusting in God. He's trusting in God, and he's remembering the dreams that he had. That's why he's able to stay silent. That's why we hear no complaint, no protest to God. He's believing and trusting in God's sovereignty over his life. He's remembering his dreams even though he's being mistreated, betrayed by his own blood, thrown into the pit, sold to Ishmaelites, he believed that God was doing something. That's why he doesn't lash out to God. That's why he's not protesting and fighting his brothers. He believed that God was doing something beyond his own life and beyond his circumstances. What was that? What is God doing here? See, if we stop here, and say, hey, you know what? Silently suffer like Joseph. Be like Joseph. Trust in God. I, I, again, we're missing the point. Something's, something's happening here. Something's being put into motion. And so what is that? Why is Joseph going through all this? Why is he now in Egypt? So I'm giving you guys a preview, or, or I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. There's going to be a great famine in the land, a severe family, famine. And what famine meant, people were going to die. And Jacob's own family is going to be at risk because of this famine. And there's some, someone very important in Jacob's family. You would think that it's Joseph, but it's not. Who is it? It's Judah. Judah. Why is Judah so significant? Because from Judah, Jesus Christ will come. From Judah's line, Jesus Christ is going to come. So God, knowing that there was going to be a great famine in the land and that his line, the line of the Savior, is going to be at risk, 
sends Joseph, he's going to now grow in the ranks in, in, in Egypt to come up with a plan where they're going to offer food to the masses. Jacob's family is going to receive the aid that Joseph plans and executes. Why? To save Judah, whom Jesus Christ will come from, his line. Do you guys see this? Why is Joseph going through all of this? Why is he suffering? Why is he in pain? It's because God had a greater plan, a plan to redeem, to save sinful humanity. The crazy thing is, unbeknownst to Judah himself, who comes up with the plan to, to sell his own brother, unbeknownst to him, even though he was doing something evil, God was using him to preserve him. God was using Judah to preserve Judah. See, I know that there are people here in this room today that are suffering. You guys are going through some real, real difficult situations and circumstances. And there's no relief in the near future. There is no solution, easy solution that you can see immediately. There are, there are those of us that are suffering right now that's going through some hard, difficult times. And you guys are asking the question, God, why? Why are you putting me through this? Why are you not providing relief and aid when I need it the most? See, there are some that are, that, that are suffering severe depression and anxiety. You just cannot function in life. You're seeking help, but, but the help's not helping. It's not doing anything for you. There are some that have been trying to have children for years and years and years, and it's just fail, fail, failed results, uh, one after another, miscarriages. For others, your, your season of being single when you want to be married, that's, it's hard. You think that there's something wrong with you, and you're just, God, why? Why am I in this situation? For others, work is just a dead end. You're just so sick and tired of work. You want a promotion, you want something else, but for some reason, nothing comes. No doors are opening. And for others of us, we have loved ones, or we ourselves have a physical we're going through physical pain. There's a disease that there is no cure for. And now you're just living with it. Or living with another person that has cancer. And there's nothing you can do. How do we explain? And what is the reason why we are experiencing all of this in our lives? See, for Joseph, he believes that God is doing something. That is why he's allowing all these things to happen. Right? It is this truth. Right? This is the truth, and I, and, and I hope that you guys, you guys can hear my heart because everyone's suffering is unique. Everyone's suffering. I, I cannot even think to imagine what you're going through. But this is what I believe Joseph is thinking. God is doing something. God has full knowledge of what I'm going through. But for some reason... He isn't preventing or stopping these things from happening. But ultimately, he is doing something. That is Joseph's faith. That is his trust in God's sovereignty. 
Can we say that? Can we say that about our own pain and suffering that we're going through today? Can we believe that? Do we believe that? That God is sovereign even in our pain and suffering. See, God did have a plan for Joseph's life, specifically for Joseph. But even greater, he had a plan to save all of us, you and me, in preserving Judah. See, I can't tell you why you're going through what you're going through. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the knowledge to. Um, But what I can say confidently is that God does have a plan, that God is doing something for your good, but maybe the good good of others around you. Right? When, when we're suffering, we, we, can, we can only focus in ourselves. But I believe, just like Joseph, God is doing something greater and far beyond Joseph in his own life. Now, I want to close by sharing just a personal experience. Uh, and, and I hesitate to share my personal experience because it's not going to be true for all of us. But, but let me explain how this worked in my life. Three years ago, Jane and I, we, we went through one of the most difficult times uh, in our marriage. Um, we experienced some trauma from certain individuals. And, uh, and we were kind of at a crossroads of what we're going to do. And this was before making a decision to go up to, go up to Seattle. We, during that time, our, our marriage was a wreck. Uh, we fought all the time. It was really rough. So much so that we actually thought it would be good for us to get counseling. Uh, so Jane and I, we went through, uh, through marriage counseling during this traumatic time uh, in our lives. And we decided uh, not to stay, but to go to Seattle. And even the decision to go to Seattle, there was no job lined up for either one of us. Jane quickly found a job. I, it took me a lot longer to find a job, uh, a market job, because uh, all my experience has been in ministry. Um, and even in Seattle, for the year and a half that we were there, we fought all the time. Uh, constantly, I was constantly confused about my calling. Um, you know, raising a, a young child was, was tough. We had Deacon at the time. Uh, we got pregnant again in Seattle. We had another one, and that just brings a whole nother dynamic into our marriage. It was a really tough time. And throughout it all, I was like, God, what are you doing? Uh, this is not what I envisioned for my family. This is not what I envisioned sitting behind a computer working for 40 hours plus. Um, what, what are you doing in my life? And so, you know, Jane and I were struggling, and it was painful. Uh, we fought all the time, uh, argue with each other. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we felt bad that Deacon was going through this as well. But God was doing something. God was doing something so much greater and, and bigger than we could have even imagined. Because while we're in SoCal, we were living with Jane's parents. Or, uh, now at that time, we weren't. Jane's parents were helping us out with Deacon. But the thing about Jane's parents... They were Buddhist. They weren't Christian. Uh, they, they had, even though I'm a pastor, they didn't you know, think of coming to church and, and, and trying to get back into uh, or uh, going into the church. Uh, but they weren't, they weren't Christians. They were Buddhists. When they found out that we were leaving uh, to Seattle, they had no reason to stay in SoCal anymore. There was no job for them. But there was an opportunity that came up in Austin, Texas. In Austin, Texas, they, were, uh, they bought a house, and they were going to house uh, international students, and this was going to be their source of income. But while they were in Austin, they met an old friend. He happens to be a Christian. He invited them out to church. And through that, they met other church people, and they met the pastor there. And through that, 
both Jane's parents came to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I think God is saying, don't you, don't you see what I was doing? Can't you see what I was orchestrating in your life? It's not just about you. I'm doing something far greater than you can even imagine. Yes, your pain and suffering is difficult. Yes, you're going through marital hardships. But trust me, I'm doing something far greater than you can even plan yourself. Jane's mom right now is at church. When they would never go to church, I would see, like when I, when I was in Texas, when we visited, I would see my father-in-law reading the Bible. And they were adamant against Christianity. See, I share this with you guys to, again, another example of God's sovereignty. He's doing something. He's doing something in our lives. God has a greater plan in our pain and suffering. And that was the salvation of my in-laws. For me, that was the salvation of my in-laws. See, Romans 8, 28, Paul reminds us that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who, call, who are called according to his purpose. See, why can we believe this? Why can we say yes and amen to this? See, Joseph in his life and suffering points us to another. Joseph is not the point. He's pointing us to another individual. He's preparing us for the one that is beloved and favored by his father. But unlike, unlike Jacob's love for Joseph, this love is a perfect love. Because of this love, his own, his own brothers will hate him, despise him, and reject him. He was the word of God. He was a truth of God. And his brothers hated him even more. He will be sent by his father to care for his brothers. Even knowing that, his brothers will kill him. He too will be sold, betrayed by one of his own, Judas, to be crucified, to be handed over. Who am I talking about? This is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, perfectly loved, despised and hated, handed over to the Gentiles to be crucified. Why? So that you and I we can sit here and experience the favor and love of the Father. This is the gospel truth. This is why Joseph had to go through what he went through so that we can have the better Joseph, the ultimate example of the suffering servant. He gives us everlasting hope. He secures for us our salvation. Brothers and sisters, let's trust in him. Let's trust that God is doing something in our lives, even in the midst of pain. Can we do that together? I don't know what you're going through. I can't imagine, but God knows. God knows, and he is doing something. Let's place our faith in him. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much that, that you love us so deeply that you will send your son knowing that his own brothers would reject him, that he will have to suffer at the hands of Pilate and the Roman soldiers to die a death that we deserve to die so that we can 
have your favor and love. God, I, I ask that you'll build, build up our trust. Help us, Lord, to trust in you. Help us, Lord, to see that you have a greater plan for your own glory, but for our ultimate good. Father, I want to pray for those brothers and sisters here who are, who are suffering and going through hardships. Holy Spirit, magnify for us, illuminate for us the glories of Christ. Help us, Lord, to trust in your sovereignty. Give us faith. Help us to endure and persevere and patiently wait. God, we know that you are for us, not against us. So help us to suffer well and help us, Lord, to exercise our faith when things get tough. We thank you. We thank you so much for the cross. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Help our lives reflect his glories and his goodness. We thank you and we love you. It is in Jesus' name we pray.